0: Okay, um, verse 10. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took, with, took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging, because we are in a remote place here. He replied, You give them something to eat. They answered, We have only five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go to buy food for all of this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, Make them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up the twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over.
1: Hi, nice see, you. I'm Johnny. I've not met you before, and uh, those of you who have will probably um, know that uh, my family and I have just moved into a new house um the other day and the house needs a little bit of work as new houses often tend to do but when it comes to DIY I'm certainly no handyman um, but my my friend Aaron is a bit of a master so so last Saturday um he was he was helping me with a few bits and pieces and I said oh you know this the radiators are there but they're not they're not heating up properly and and all the rest of it and I tried bleeding them or the, People are like, are you try bleeding them? And I was like, I know how to do that, but they still, they still weren't working. Um, and so Aaron said, he, he looked at me and he said, oh, have you, have you tried adjusting the lock shield? I think, I, I think it's fair to say my blank expression said it all. So Aaron asked for a, a, a spanner, uh, and after I hand him uh, the spanner, he gets on his knees and he starts uh, taking a look. And Aaron's a really good teacher. Everything I know about DIY comes from Aaron. He always tells you what he's doing so that you know what to do next time. And his instructions were pretty simple. He says, you know, you just take the spanner, take this bit off, turn it about four or five times until it stops, and then turn it back anti-clockwise, half a turn, jobs are good in. And that, it really was. It, it, it worked. The lock shield apparently was, was the key. Um, and I'd learned how to adjust my radiator's lock shield. Uh, job done. Or at least I thought I had. I thought I had. So I waltz off into the next room, spanner in hand, I know what I'm doing. And what sounded like easy instructions, actually doing it myself proved very, very different. I was there struggling with the hammer, being like, Aaron, you said, I, you know, could you just come over here? And then Aaron's there kind of showing me what to do. That's the way it goes. But the point is this we learn not by, by but, but we learn how something works, not by kind of hearing just the instruction. We have to learn by doing it. Verbal instructions aren't enough for us to learn. We learn by real-life application and experience. Now, some of us will have heard um, today's passage quite a few times, and we may think we know what happens. You know, wasn't it, wasn't it cool that Jesus took this little boy's lunchbox and basically fed a, a few thousand people? Well, it is cool, but that's not why Luke has included it or why Jesus did it. To understand what's going on here, we have to go back a little bit uh, to see what we've seen so far in Luke and also particularly what Rich preached on last week. So after eight chapters of proclaiming the kingdom of God, which we've been in for some months now, Jesus literally hands the spanner, if you like, over to his disciples and says, right, guys, you've seen how to do it. Now it's your turn. Look at... um, Look, look at verse 2 of, of chapter 9. It's on the screen. Jesus sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Okay? Off you go. That's what you need to do. And just as Aaron gave me a simple instruction on how to do the job, Jesus gives his disciples one simple instruction on how his followers do the job of serving the kingdom. Look at, look at verse 3 again on the screen. He told them, take nothing for the journey. No staff. No bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. That's the one instruction. Now, don't miss the point. He's not saying that Christians can't have money or eat bread. That's not what he's saying. Jesus' one instruction about how to serve his kingdom is this. You have to rely on me alone. You have to rely on me alone, over and above all the other things we tend to put our trust in how much food is in the cupboards, how much money is in the bank. So that was Jesus' verbal instruction. You can see where this is going, right? Because as we know, verbal instructions aren't enough. Jesus' followers need to learn reliance on him in the real nitty-gritty of the everyday and real-life scenarios. And this is exactly what happens in our passage today. The feeding of the 5,000 is the real-life situation for Jesus' disciples to apply his instruction. To rely on him alone to provide for their ministry need. It's not just a cool trick. That's what everyone thought. It's just like, that's cool, Jesus, did. That was really cool. It's much more than that. Like me taking, uh, tackling the radiator, putting Jesus' instruction into practice to rely on him is going to prove far harder for the disciples when the rubber hits the road. But here we, see, in the today's passage, we see the Master not just giving verbal instructions, but training his apprentices in the real world. We see how Jesus uses real-life situations to see his teaching transform the hearts of the disciples to rely on him alone, both for salvation but also for service of his kingdom. So if you're a note-taker, I don't have anything pithy for you, but we are working through two points. Nothing pithy, but here you go. We're going to see, first of all, how Jesus uses uses real life circumstances to teach us to rely on him. Just teach us generally, but primarily to rely on him. And secondly, we're going to see what what relying on Jesus actually looks like. What does it mean to rely on Jesus? Trust in Jesus. What does that mean? We're going to see those two things. And so first up, let's have a look at how Jesus uses real life circumstances to teach us to rely on him. So if you've got your Bibles open, that's great. It's going to be on the screen as well, because in verse ten we start there, and the disciples—they've just returned from their missionary journey, and the funny thing is, is that they've clearly had some kind of successes out there. They're feeling pretty smug about it as they quote report to. Oh, so that's the top. They report to Jesus what they had done. You can see a bit of smugness. Look, you know, we, you know, look, we kind of rocked our thing. and you know, Jesus is always gracious to use his followers in his service, despite being far from the finished product. That's a real mercy, isn't it? But Jesus doesn't just give them a pat on the back and hand them a pass certificate. No, the weird thing is, he doesn't say anything. He's silent. He simply just takes them off to a town called Bethsaida. Jesus is clearly up to something. And we find out later that he's deliberately brought them to that town to teach them what they think they've grasped, but they haven't in any way. And this lesson begins in verse 11, when the crowds, as they were um, as they tended to do, start gathering around Jesus. And Jesus welcomes them. And what does he do? And the wording is really key here. He spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. I haven't got the verse in front of you. But I think it's, it's verse two of chapter nine. That's exactly the wording of what Jesus sent his disciples to do, to go speak about, proclaim the kingdom of God, and to heal those who need healing. That is that, essentially, the point is, is that when the crowd's Gather around Jesus. Jesus doesn't say to them, All right, then, guys, you've passed your pass, to, you know, you've got your certificate on the wall. You know what to do here. Off you go. I've taught you. You know, I'll leave it in your capable hands. No, he reverts to doing it himself. It's like Aaron came, All right, come on. I'll do it for you. That's what's going on here. He knows that his instructions to rely on him alone and their proclamation and service of the kingdom just hasn't sunk into their hearts. And he's right. At a, at a very basic level, while Jesus, verse 11, welcomes the crowd, what do we see in verse 12? The disciples come to Jesus and ask to send the crowd away. So clear, the apprentices are clearly at odds with the teacher, just in very in much in that basic sense. But actually, it's the reason they give for wanting to send the crowd away that reveals how little they've learned about relying on. On Jesus. They say this: they say, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a very remote place. Jesus' has one instruction: take no bread and rely on me alone. The disciples, abort mission, abort mission. Jesus, we've got no bread. You see what's going on? And what Jesus says next is absolutely hilarious, right? The disciples can't see the irony of what's going on here, and almost with a little affectionate smile on his face, trying not to laugh, he just looks at them. And verse thirteen says, "You give them something to eat." Now you think at this point they'd be like, "Oh, I see what's going on." They'd laugh a little bit and be like, "You know, oh, I see, up, yep, Jesus, sorry." Hands up, you said, take no bread, and we're supposed to rely on you, yep, got it. Work in progress, all the rest of it. But no, they respond in disbelief. Verse 13, but we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all of this crowd. Well, clearly that wasn't possible, given that verse 14, there were 5,000 men present, so plus women and children, probably a minimum of 15,000 people in this crowd. Here's the point. Jesus knows his one instruction to rely on him hadn't entered his disciples' hearts. So he deliberately orchestrates a real-life scenario for them to grasp it. Jesus uses real-life circumstances to teach us to rely on him. Because as his followers, we're the same, aren't we? We've heard the good news of Jesus, how he came to live the perfect life on our behalf and die on the cross to take away our sins, so that now we simply have to put our trust in him, relying on that life and death to bring us into God's family, and yet we still look to our own progress or lack of it to determine how confidently we approach God. We understand one thing, but our hearts really show the command and the, and the instruction hasn't sunk into our hearts at all or in our service of his kingdom, uh, at church, or in gospel family, in our jobs, or in our evangelism. We know that it's his work, that we must rely on his presence and provision, and yet we run ourselves into the ground. We feel guilty when it's not going well. We get flustered when circumstances which are in his control don't go our way, and, and the mission becomes harder. So we say we rely on him, but the lesson hasn't sunk into our hearts. But friends, look at how kind Jesus is. He doesn't stand there wagging his head at our failures. I've told you this last week. No, he knows that we need real life scenarios to really learn what he teaches and find joy and life in that. And so in his kindness, he orchestrates all of our circumstances, all of our frustrations, all of our failures, all of our pain even to help our hearts Find freedom for relying on ourselves, on our abilities, on our plans, on our resources, such that we'd find joy in relying on him alone. How kind is our Savior? So that's the first point, that Jesus uses our real life circumstances to teach us to rely on him. Secondly, Jesus teaches us what it actually looks like to rely on him. What does it mean? You've got to rely on let God, let you know, let go, let God, all that kind of stuff. What does it actually mean to rely on on Jesus. And it's at this point in the, you know, the disciples are flustered and having a bit of a mare that, 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 that Jesus takes over, okay? Jesus takes over. Verse 14, he asks his disciples, listen guys, okay, get, get, get them to sit down uh, in, in groups of 50. That's about 100 groups of 50 plus, you know, whatever. It's big, big groups. And what happens next is key. Have a look at verse 16. It's underlined there taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. Does that remind you of anything? <laughs> Jesus taking bread, giving thanks, breaking it and distributing it. It's the Last Supper. It's the Last Supper, isn't it? Here's that picture of Jesus' death on the cross on our behalf. In fact, just in a few chapters' time, in Luke 22, it says this, that Jesus took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So you see what's going on. When Jesus says to his followers, us included, take no bread for the journey of following me and of serving me, He says this because his broken body is our bread. His broken body is our bread. Uh, You know, without bread or at least food, we we can't live, can we? Jesus is saying the bread he offers, his broken body, his death, is the only bread which truly gives life. Take no bread, says Jesus. Rely not one bit on your spiritual performance or ability or morals or prayer life or strength to avoid sin to bring you eternal life before God, like the disciples, you'll find you may have five loaves and a few fish um, in your cupboards, but it's not going to be enough. It's not going to be enough to take no bread says Jesus. Rely not one bit on the bread of wealth or success or possession or fame or status or security or money or whatever you look to to bring true life. Those might be good things, but this bread will spoil and won't ultimately satisfy. Take no bread, says Jesus, because my broken body is the bread which does not spoil and ultimately brings eternal life. And satisfaction. Verse 17, they all ate and were satisfied. So what does relying on Jesus actually look like? First and foremost, it means looking to his death alone, the bread of his broken body, to save you, to bring you eternal life, to satisfy your soul. And in any group like this, there'll be people who, who, who haven't come to Jesus for the satisfaction of their souls. And the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Come to Jesus, and he will satisfy you with the bread of eternal life. But to the eager eyed, legitimate critique, we've got to remember here that the lesson Jesus wants to impress on his disciples is not how to become a Christian here. That's not in view here, primarily. They are already his followers. Jesus is teaching them to rely on him alone, not only for their salvation, but for their service of his kingdom. That's the primary view. He's giving them an audio visual demonstration of the verbal instruction he gave them last week um, in, in, in verse 3 to take no bread on their mission to serve his kingdom. This is really going, isn't it? And here's, and here's where Jesus lands his lesson. Remember, he says, he, sorry, remember what he did a minute ago. He takes the bread, gives thanks for the bread, and breaks it and gives it to the disciples. And then the disciples distribute it to the people. Beforehand, when the disciples were relying on their own resources to serve Jesus' kingdom, they found that their own store cupboard had only five loaves and two fish in it. And that may have served 50 people maximum, maybe. But they had finally learnt here that they couldn't serve Jesus' kingdom out of their own resources and reserves. The bread of their ability, of their diligence, of their passion, their desire to serve, it would only get them so far and not very far at all. They needed bread that went beyond the bread that they had in their own store cupboards. And this is why Jesus said to them, take no bread for the journey. Only now is that verbal instruction taking root in their hearts. Only now, as each of them comes up to Jesus and he hands them another basket of bread, another basket of bread, another basket of bread, another basket of bread. Only now do they see what it means to rely on Jesus in their service of his kingdom. Jesus is there, present among them and among those they seek to serve. And from his storehouses, he provides for his work that he calls the disciples to do. And here's my favorite bit of the account. The crowds, verse 17, we've said, all ate and were satisfied. And then what? And the disciples, how many? Twelve. And the twelve disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The broken bread here, symbolizing Jesus' death, filled a basket for each of his disciples that he called to do the work. Jesus doesn't ask us to serve others with what he doesn't already serve us with in abundance. Not a slice, a basketball. When we rely on ourselves, we can only give others ourselves, and this Um, resource will run out or it will run us into the ground and we cannot and will not satisfy the people we seek to serve. And yet when we are equipped and empowered by Christ, feasting on the bread of his death on our behalf, delighting in his salvation through it and his presence among us As its consequence, only then can we truly serve others, not out of the empty store cupboards of our own resources, but in the presence of the ever-giving, ever-gracious Lord out of whose never-emptying storehouses flow love and grace and forgiveness and strength in abundance. Relying on him looks like delighting in who he is for us and what he's done for us being satisfied in him alone so that we can pass on to others the satisfaction of Jesus, the bread of heaven, for their hungry souls. That is, we must be well fed before we feed others. We must be delighting in Jesus before we can offer him to anyone else. So as we close, let me just speak really frankly as to how this applies to us. I'm given to exaggeration, but I don't think it's any exaggeration to say that the whole Christian life is God's ongoing training program to coax us off self-reliance and toward a greater reliance on the person and work and provision of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether it's for salvation or success, self-reliance is the entrenched foundation upon which we have all built our lives. It's the very essence of what the Bible calls sin. I don't need you, God. I, I, I've got this. I've got my salvation. I've got my success. I can go this alone. And the only difference between a Christian and anyone else in the world is that by God's grace, we've been brought to see that this is a problem and that Jesus Christ is the solution. And as we put our trust, our reliance on his life and death on our behalf, he begins that work to lead us through a lifelong apprenticeship under his instruction to undo every fiber of self-reliance in every part of our lives. That is what we see in our passage today. This is what it means to be Jesus' disciple. And like those first disciples, we hear those instructions every week, don't we? And we nod. But in real life scenarios, so often we live as though we haven't truly learned what Jesus teaches us. Turn the spanner anti-clockwise, said Aaron, and I nod, but do it in a real life situation. And I'm a goner. I need more training. This is my body, broken for you and your salvation, says Jesus, and we nod. But in our everyday, we look to our emotions, our spiritual performance, our service to assure us of our salvation. We need more training. Don't worry about your life. Your heavenly father knows what you need and provides it. And we nod, but we find ourselves every day anxious and fretful. We need more training. Anyone who would follow me, Let them follow me and take up their cross, says Jesus. And we nod, and yet we spend most of our days searching for comfort. You cannot serve God and money, says Jesus. And we nod, but if we're honest, we love having money because it feels far safer than Jesus' promises. A servant is not greater than his master. If I suffer, so too will my disciples says Jesus, and we nod. And yet we cannot get our heads round why God would allow this suffering in our lives. We need more training. Take no bread for the journey of serving my kingdom, says Jesus. And last week, we all nodded. But like Jesus' first disciples, one week on, and this week gone, we have all devoured all sorts of bread hoping to be satisfied by all sorts of things besides the bread that Jesus offers his broken body for us on the cross. We need more training as it applies in the real nitty-gritty of our lives. You're looking blankly, at least I do. And the overwhelmingly good news of our passage is that Jesus is proactively, this minute, designing, orchestrating, and using every scenario and situation and suffering and circumstance in your life as real-life training drills to gently and kindly and gradually coax you off the moldy bread of self-reliance that we gouge ourselves in week in and week out and toward the fresh and satisfying loaf of relying on Jesus' life and death on your behalf for our salvation and for our service of his kingdom. The person here despairing at how hard they find reading the Bible. The brother whose life feels like his life is falling apart after some huge disappointment. The gospel family leader harboring anger at God for their diligence in serving his church with seemingly no results. The sister who has just landed in this country with nothing but a bag on her back. The family struggling to make ends meet as the latest energy bill lands. The TGC staff worker who's given up a good salary to serve God, but no one seems to listen to them. The Christian who walks into church this morning guilty and unbelieving that God could possibly welcome him, a sinner, after what happened last night. Brothers and sisters, no matter what the situation is that the Holy Spirit is bringing to your mind this very instance, make no mistake that the Lord Jesus, right now, just like in our passage, is right there in the middle of it, asking a question. Will you go it alone? Or will you trust me to be for you who you cannot be? To do for you what you cannot do? To provide for you what you cannot provide for yourself? God is using it all to bring you to a greater reliance on him. At every point in your life, the question Jesus is gently asking you is will you trust me? Christian life. Will you trust me? And in every circumstance, Jesus isn't doing this work in some vague sense, right? Like today, as he took the bread, held it up, broke it, and distributed it, his work in your life is to feed you with the bread of his broken body, bringing life and sustenance. You know, after singing in a second, we're going to take the Lord's Supper, where where, where like the crowds and the disciples, we will receive from Jesus the bread he provides, a picture of what he does for us throughout our lives. Taking that bread is a cry of faith to say, Lord, I rely on you for my salvation. Help me rely on you more. For the guilty, here is the bread of forgiveness of sins. For those despairing of themselves, here is the bread of a substitute who died in your place to bring you to God. For the suffering, here is the bread of your Saviour's presence and empathy in this situation, who himself suffered. For the anxious, here is the bread of assurance as to where your life is headed. For the depressed, here is the bread of a promised, brighter future. Jesus' instruction to you last week was this. Rely on me for your salvation and service of my kingdom. Jesus' message through the feeding of the 5,000 is this. You're going to fail to rely on me time and time again. But I am at work in the nitty-gritty of your real life, and I don't ever give up on any of my disciples. So be encouraged. Jesus is with you. He's loving you. He's training you. And he will finish his work. I pray. Lord Jesus, you are here amongst us as you are amongst all of your churches throughout the world. And you are with us by your your spirit in our everyday lives on Monday morning, on Thursday afternoon, in everything we do, in everything we pursue. You are there in it all. And Father God, we thank you that you do not waste anything in the service of giving us freedom and joy to no longer rely on ourselves, but to rely on you. Thank you so much, Father, your word is balm for the souls like ours, which knows that we will fail in this, this week as well and the next week, but slowly, throughout our lives, you are teaching us and training us and loving us and leading us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for who you are and for the bread of your death on our behalf. We praise you this morning. Amen.